So we kicked off last week with this series, and, and what we discovered last week, we took out this, um, the word resolute out of resolutions and wanted to discover what it means to be a resolute person. We said last week, resolutions are usually what we attempt to do, but being resolute is about who we are and who we want to become. Big difference. So it's better to become resolute people than just to become people who make resolutions. You get that? Better to become resolute people than just people who make resolutions. Because the struggle is, as we looked last week, we were in a great passage for Samuel 12, but as we applied it to culture and our lives, we, we, re- we recognize there's the struggle. We're tempted to be like everybody else. We're tempted to be like the next person, like the next neighbor, like the next coworker, like uh, whatever we see around us, while God, on the other hand, is trying to do something unique in us, something beautiful in us, something different in us that he envisions. And so we left you thinking about three questions. I'll throw them up on the screen. And um, just so you, you remember them, have you, how have you been tempted to be like everybody else? So we left you with last week. And even to think about this next question, where does your life need a reset? We encourage that just to be reflective over this month, to ask the question, where does my life need a reset? That will be different for some of you. Might be the same, but might be different for some of you. And then last question we talked about last week, how can you identify what has been meaningless and move to what is priority? As we saw in 1 Samuel 12, um, the word to Israel was, turn away from useless idols. Don't turn away from God, but turn away from useless idols. And so this question, how can we identify what's been meaningless and move to what is priority? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to apply some of what we learned last week and learn principles along the way. And we want to apply it to three main things, faith, friendship and family, and then finances. That's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. And today, we're going to, you know, we can choose many topics. I mean, there's a top 10 list of probably the things we need to press reset on. But I think these three will be really, really key. And sometimes there's, there's a saying or an understanding when you're planning or when you're strategizing or when you're thinking about life or work or career on the things that will affect everything else. Because if you focus on those things, other things will get affected. And so we think that, or I've been thinking that these three will be priority. But today we're going to focus on resolutionary faith. Resolutionary faith. And just as we jump into this, even before we read some scripture, I'm going to pray. And uh, there's a a prayer on the screen that I'd like us to pray together. I came across it uh, recently. You You can go to the next slide as we pray this prayer. Is it up there, Beth? No, there it is. And so as we pray... um. We're going to pray this prayer, and then I'll pause briefly for us to just take it in ourselves, and then invite the Lord to work in us this morning as we um, continue with, with the theme. Let's pray this together. Lord, I can see that there are a lot of things in me that need to change. Let your love invade me. Give me the courage to faithfully follow your unique path for my life, regardless of where it might lead. And regardless of the changes you want to make in me, in Jesus' name, amen. Father, we pray this prayer collectively. Lord, let your love invade us. Let your spirit enlighten us and give us insight today. Capture our hearts, capture our minds, capture our attention, God, we pray. We invite you to work in Jesus' name, amen. Thinking about resolutionary faith, this week I had 
two encounters that really jumped out at me. One was with someone on the phone who's local in our church context. And one was through email, someone in our church whose mom is getting close to death. One is facing death and one is facing tests, um, wondering what's going on with their health. And something that jumped out at me with both of these situations, the person I was facing tests, the peace I just sensed in him on the phone, the sense of resolve, the sense of uh, trusting God. You know, he, he's just said to me, of course, I'd love the Lord to be at work in me. And I've seen him work so many times in my life, but I just trust him for whatever comes next. And, and I heard those words over the phone and I just thought, this person has resolutionary faith. As, uh, by email, interacting with someone in our church whose mom is really coming to the end of her days, maybe one, two, three weeks left. But the thing that jumped out at me through the correspondence was she is ready. She's ready to meet her Lord. She's ready to be in God's presence. And there was this sense in both these situations because, you know, sickness or death really force you to think about where is your faith? Um, what do you stand on? What gives you hope? And just talking to these two people made me realize just how beautiful, how important, how vital it is to have a resolute faith. And today I want to ask the question, how does someone become resolute in faith? Either if you want to grow in your faith or maybe start growing in faith, how do we become that? How do we grow in that? What would it look like? And here's the assumption, and you can apply this to many things in your life. Your life. The assumption is this. One thing we assume is just do something. Just do something and I'll see a result. The other assumption is just get excited about something and I'll see a result. So here are two myths. The myth is this. Doing more creates change. That's a myth. Just doing more creates change. Another myth is getting excited about something brings results. That's a myth too. Think about like if, if you know if yourself or if your child practices the piano. If you just practice the piano... Without a posture for learning, not much is going to happen. You can get really excited about buying a piano. You can get excited about the idea of music, but never practice, and nothing will happen as well. And so I thought about it this way. If you put this on the screen, practice without posture is activity. Practice without posture is activity. Posture without practice is just attitude. Practice without posture is activity. Posture without practice is attitude. And one or the other, all by themselves, don't really work. But when you combine them together, something happens. Right posture and right practices actually produce something. And so posture plus practice produces resolutionary living. I want you to just think about that phrase for a second. Posture plus practice produces resolutionary living. Just put it out on the screen, Beth. Can we say that together? Posture plus practice produces resolutionary living. Now, you can apply this to anything in your life. You can apply this to your career, your work, your family, your friends, your finances. You can apply it to your health, your fitness, to something you want to learn this year. I want to apply it to faith today, and I want to look at a scripture that's going to help us with posture and practice. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, Luke 7 and we're going to read two parts of Luke 7, the first part and the last part. There's four stories in Luke 7, and they're both people who interact and come to, to discover who Jesus is. But there's something about both of these stories that are really powerful and show us the posture of their faith. And so let's start from, from Luke 7, verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses here. When Jesus had finished all this, saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. 
There a centurion servant whom his master highly valued was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Towards the end of the chapter, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among them, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love these two bookends of Luke 7. I mean, there's a lot happening in this whole chapter, but these two bookends, meeting this soldier, Roman soldier, and then meeting this woman, this Roman soldier who is, who is part of the Roman Empire, who's not a Jew, and then this woman who's caught in some kind of sin, some kind of public sin that it's known, and we get this man, non-Jewish, non-religious, this woman who's titled or given this description as being sinful. It's interesting because the centurion is looking for Jesus to heal his servant, And the woman is looking for Jesus to find forgiveness. They're both looking for Jesus for different things, but they both come to him because they believe that he can do something. And Jesus commends both of them for their extraordinary faith. The centurion, the soldier, and the woman. With the soldier, think about it a second. I mean, while Jesus agreed to visit his servant... He never even made it there. I mean, the centurion didn't even feel worthy for Jesus to come under his roof. He sent his servants and said, hey, Jesus, you don't even need to come here. Just say the word and I know something can happen. And then he said, I don't deserve you under my roof. I'm not worthy to even come to you in person. I sent my servants. 
Jesus recognized that this man saw his own authority. The soldier recognized the authority of Jesus. Just say the word, he says, and I know my servant will be healed. In other words, he believed that Jesus was so powerful, he can heal anybody from anywhere. He didn't, have, he didn't even have to be there. And, and this is one of the rare moments in the gospel where Jesus is actually surprised. It's like, what? I haven't seen faith like this, not even in Israel. He was, Jesus was surprised. Jesus was taken back by the faith of this soldier. It says that he was amazed at him and that he did not see faith anywhere in Israel like this Roman Gentile soldier. There was something about this soldier that demonstrates resolute faith. At least Jesus thinks so. And then something similar happens with this woman. This woman seeks Jesus out. She's crashing a dinner party. Imagine someone just kind of walked into your house when you had a special guest over. I'm like, what are you doing at the table? How did you get in here? Why are you at my guest's feet? What the heck is going on, right? I mean, in the first century, it's different than today. We lock our doors. We have codes for our garages. You know, there's, there may be more space. But in those days, I mean, things were a little bit more open. So you could sometimes have a, a beggar come in. You can have a friend come in, a family member, a surprise guest. Today, we freak out. We close the blinds. We don't want to make sure, like, this is a different story. So this woman just walks in. She crashes the, this dinner party. And this Pharisee who owned the house, Simon, he's a pretty religious person. He's rarely accused of public sin. But Simon isn't happy because this woman who has been accused of public sin is in his house, messing up his dinner party, sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's upset. And he's upset also because Jesus doesn't even realize it. He calls Jesus teacher. So you know he has some respect for him. But in this moment he says, I don't get it. I thought Jesus knew a bunch of stuff. Why can't he figure out that this woman's a sinner? Wouldn't he figure that out? Well, Jesus obviously knew, and it didn't affect him. But Jesus welcomes the intrusion. Jesus welcomes the surprise. She comes seeking for forgiveness with expensive perfume to pour on Jesus. She's weeping at his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair, and she pours this perfume, this act of worship. Just pause for a second. She felt completely safe in front of Jesus. A woman in that day would not have let down her hair. Not in public. That would have been a sign indicating that she's not a woman in that culture. She felt completely safe in front of Jesus, even with those other guests. Because most of what she did was not cultural norm. She would not, you don't just crash somebody's house, sit at somebody's feet, weep before them pour perfume on their feet, anoint them, Take, let your hair down. She felt safe with Jesus. And Jesus points to her act of worship as this gratitude of forgiveness that she knows that she's going to get from Jesus. Jesus forgives her sin. And he leaves us what he thinks of her. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just like the soldier this woman had this extraordinary faith as she approached Jesus. Both of them had this resolutionary faith. Here's, here's, think about resolutionary faith. Both of them were led to Jesus. Both of them pursued Jesus. Both of them discovered Jesus and were, drew, were drawn to Jesus. Both of them put their trust in Jesus. Both of them went towards Jesus and basically said, I'm going to trust you to do what my heart longs for, what my life needs, 
what my soul isn't yearning for. I'm going to trust you for that. And then both of them experience the work of Jesus. Both of them saw Jesus at work. Both of them experienced his work as they put their faith in him. One was power and one was forgiveness. So the servant of this guard was healed physically and this woman was healed spiritually. Both of them were healed. Something happened for both situations. And they both share this posture of faith that I think is very similar between the both of them. What are these two postures? It's humility and confidence. If you think about this story, you think about both two completely different people, two different spectrums on the social scene, two, you know, different, how they were viewed by, by one another, their wealth, all that kind of stuff was so different, but both of them shared these two postures in their faith. One was humility. The soldier said, I'm not even worthy to come before you. I'm not even worthy to have you in my house, Jesus. The woman sat at Jesus' feet. She didn't, she didn't speak to him face to face. She didn't sit down at the table like everyone else. She sat at Jesus' feet. Both were humble in their faith. Neither of them felt entitled, religious, pompous, demanding. They came with humility to Jesus. That was both their posture. But both of them were confident. Confident. The soldier, full of belief, sent his servant asking if Jesus could heal his, serv- his servant at home who wasn't well. Confidently believing that Jesus had the power. He said, just say the word, Jesus, and I know that it can happen. I, I, I have confidence that you can do this. The woman She went to Jesus believing that she would be forgiven. She went to him already in gratitude. She she didn't go in gratitude waiting for forgiveness. She went in gratitude knowing that, that Jesus had the power to forgive her. And Jesus loved her demonstration of faith. See, she was grateful for what Jesus could already do, and she sat at his feet. Jesus didn't wait Or she didn't wait for a response or for Jesus to do something to respond in worship. She already went grateful. She already went ready. She already went confident. She loved with full belief that he had already forgiven her. That's sometimes what we do in worship this morning. You're, 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 you're walking with Jesus, you're walking with the Lord, and you come and you open your heart in corporate worship like this, even if you do it at home or throughout your day. And many times it's not out of response of what Jesus has done, although he's done so much for us already and he's gone to the cross for us. Many times it's, it's in response because we know he's going to work. We know he's at work. We know he has the power. So we worship believing that God is already at work. That's what this woman did. And that's what resolutionary faith is made of, these two things, humility and confidence, to be humble and to be confident. Both of them had a humble awareness of the authority of Jesus. Just think about that for a second. They both had a humble awareness of his authority. And they both had a confident awareness of his power. That was their posture. Their posture was humility and confidence. But like we said, posture is only part of it, right? Your faith needs to be nurtured. And faith needs to be strengthened through practices. I'm going to invite you today to consider at least one practice together. The reality is is that this woman and this soldier, if they were going to keep following Jesus and grow in their faith, that one act of faith was not going to keep them growing in faith. They would need to grow in practice. There's so many practices we can talk about. We can talk about what we did this morning, corporate worship corporate learning. We can talk about prayer. We can talk about fasting. We can talk about service. 
We can talk about how many connect and grow in community and we commit to a practice of being with other believers so we can grow, this practice of listening to God so we can live out in faith. But this soldier and this woman, this was just the first part of their faith. If you read through the New Testament, you get this sense that the New Testament shows us a life of faith requires practice, requires nurturing, requires these disciplines. It's not just our posture, but it's also our practice. In Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking to his, his disciples and those who are already following him. And he speaks about three things in, in Matthew 6. He speaks about um, giving, praying, and fasting. But what he says is amazing. He says, when you give, give like this. When you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this. In other words, Jesus was assuming that his disciples had practices, that they were involved in certain spiritual disciplines that would grow their faith. In Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 people come to faith in one day and the disciples are all present, it says that they committed themselves to certain practices, the teaching of the apostles, prayer, breaking of bread, uh, fellowship together. These were practices. We read in the New Testament many times that the church would get together and sing songs or hymns that would, they would sing the gospel to each other. These are practices. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about resolute faith, to think about practices that are going to build your faith, that are going to build your faith. Here, here are some things you can do just briefly. I'm going to share this. One is make room for these practices. I think sometimes our schedules get so out of whack that we don't make room. Last week we talked about leaving certain meaningless things in our lives and gravitating towards priority. And so make room for these certain practices. And I'm not going to list all of them today. I'm going to just end with one. But make room for these practices in your life. In other words, these are big rocks in your life that you need to set up first. And set up these big rocks in your life first so you make room for them right away. And let other rocks kind of follow through. But then when you've got the big rocks in place, you're making room. The next thing is schedule them. What will you do daily to nurture your faith? What will you do weekly to nurture your faith? What will you commit to monthly to nurture your faith? What are you going to schedule in? Bill Hybels would, would used to say, if you don't put it in your ca- uh, calendar in pen, you're not going to do it. He said, use a pen when you put something in your calendar so you make sure that you stick to it. And so when you think of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow my faith, I'm going to practice corporate worship together like we did this morning. I'm going to practice learning together as a community. I'm going to practice fellowship or relationships within the body of Christ. I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to pen with a pen, put it in my calendar on Wednesday night. That's my wife and I anyways. On Wednesday night, we are meeting with our group. We are meeting with a small group of believers to nurture our faith, to be on mission together, to care for one another. You put it in pen when you say, I'm going to spend 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes with the Lord today, I'm going to, I'm going to put it right at the, in pen in my calendar. I'm going to do this every morning or at noontime or in the evening or before I, I head to bed. I'm going to schedule this. So schedule it. Second is motivation. When Jesus said, give or pray or fast in Matthew chapter 6, it was amazing what he said. He said, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He wasn't saying, don't let anybody ever know that you give. Some people say, oh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to um, let anybody know that I give. I don't want anybody to know what I give, never. So I'm always going to just give anonymously, completely. Normally people who say that don't give. But, but 
just out of experience. But anyways, that, that's not what Jesus was saying. And when he said, go into your prayer closet and pray in secret, he wasn't saying, never let anybody hear you pray. And when he said, when you fast, don't like show everybody that you're tired and you haven't eaten. Like fix your face up and throw some water on it. What he was, what he was saying, he said, guard your motivation. Guard the motivation of your heart. Don't give so other people know you give. Don't announce you're giving so publicly so everybody knows I gave to this cause and I support this child and I support 10 children. And he's not saying don't put, it on your, don't put that child on your fridge and hide it in the drawer when people come over. He's saying watch your motivation that you don't give to impress, that you don't pray to impress, that you don't fast so other people know. You do these practices to nurture your faith, not so other people are impressed. And so towards when we think about these practices, it's to guard our motivation and why we do it. So these practices come from an inner decision and not an outer performance. And then I I want to circle back to this sense of posture. Because if you are going to commit to practices, and maybe you already do, I want to encourage you. What is your posture when you read the scriptures? What is your posture when you come to gathering like this to worship? What's your posture when you fast? What's your posture when you give? What's your posture when you serve? And I want to come back to this humility and confidence because I think these two postures will fuel your practices like nothing else. Even if you are so diligent to put it in your calendar, even if you're so diligent to be here and committed to it, these two postures will radically change how much these practices change your life. And so think about humility for a second. Are you humble when you worship? Humility is an act of worship. It's a posture of learning. It's, it's open to challenge and growth. If you read the scriptures without a posture of humility, it's hard to grow. If you come to worship or come and listen as we gather today and it's not in a posture of humility, you will probably not get that much out of it. You, you probably, if you don't come with a posture of humility, you're probably just thinking sometimes it's like, uh, I'm, you know what, I'm going to guard whatever is said because I don't, I'm going to choose, I'm going to make sure that I completely fully influence my life and I don't let anything else. So do you come open? Do you read open? Do you give open? Do you serve open? Do you meet with community in an open way? I was at my mom's church two weeks ago, and I loved that I was able to just go, go to a church gathering that wasn't my own. I just went with her, brought her to church. It was, a, it was cool to be with my mom. I know it really blessed her that I could, you know, head to church with her. But I remember going, you know, as a speaker, as a pastor, as someone who's so involved in church, it's very easy to walk in another church and say, we're going to see what happens here. You know, what's this guy going to say? What's this person, girl going to say? How are they going to lead me in worship? Will they really lead, draw me in? And um, I really did my best to put that aside and go to church with my mom as someone who is open, humble before the Lord. And I can be 100% honest with you. I had an ama- a different style of worship. I wouldn't sing that kind of style, but I, I worshiped God with another body of believers in Toronto. There was this moment at the end when the pastor invited anybody to come up for repentance, confession, uh, you know, just coming before the Lord. 
And, and it was, you know, I was really open as, as that was happening there. And it was just reflecting on, on what he, he had said and the scriptures he brought out. And it really did challenge my heart. I mean, I took notes that morning. I took notes. And I, I let it sit in. And it was, this was amazing. I, w- I was kind of contemplating. I, there's parts of me that I feel like I should walk up there and, and bring something, bring this to the Lord and wrestle with God. And, and I waited and I hesitated. And I was just thinking about going. And a f- few people were there. And then my mom gets out of her seat. She goes to the front. And she just pauses with others. And no flash, no, you know, no hype. But she just came before the Lord for herself and in community with others. And something just hit me in that moment. I realized, here's my mom. She's 76 years old. She's been serving God for 70 years. She's taught Sunday school and kids and served people and ministered to women and, and been a pastor's wife and, and done so many things and been on the phone with people for hours and prayed for people and walked with people. And you would think, you would think this 76-year-old woman who's been following Jesus for 70 years could think in that moment, what else do I really need to do? Right? What else do I really need? How much do I really need to repent or confess or be open before the Lord? And as I saw her walk up slowly, it was just this huge reminder to me that we always need to be humble before the Lord and be open and have our posture towards him in whatever spiritual practices we engage. So when you read the Bible, do you read it to get smarter? Do you read the Bible to prove somebody else wrong? Do you read the Bible to win at the next art, you know, at the next discussion at your community group? Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to read and I'm going to get back to them and I'm going to show them that I got this one down packed better than they do. Do you do it to win an argument at work with someone and then you just kind of put the Bible in their face and I, this is exactly what it says. Why do you read the Bible? Or is it a posture of humility? Reading, believing that God has something to teach you, that God has something to show you, that God, the God of the universe is worth your time and worth your submission. That's humility. That's humility. I started reading into um, this, this kind of like um, reading for the year. And it's a book that I've read in the past. And it's just through the year, through the church calendar with an author named John Stott with some scripture. And, and part of me said, I'm going to start in another part of the book because if I start here, it's the Gospels. And I'm like, ah, I kind of went through the Gospels recently. Do I really need to go through them again? What am I going to learn? What is it? And I'm telling you, the first day I opened it up, and I, I mean, I know this text. It was Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. It talked about the kingdom of God and the good news. But something happened in my heart that just woke up in a fresh way. And I thought, God, thank you so much that in any moment you can remind me that you're so, so much bigger than me. And there's something I still don't know and that I need to learn. So when you read or pray or fast or worship or gather... It needs to be because Jesus has authority and he knows exactly where he wants to lead your life. G.K. Chesterton said these words, Humility is the mother of giants. One sees great things from the valley, but only small things from the peak. Humility is the mother of giants. One sees great things from the valley, but only small things from the peak. So when we move into a posture of humility with whatever spiritual practices we engage in, then we see God in such huge ways and he starts to change us and fill us. And then the second posture as we wrap it around is confidence. 
Do we engage these practices, whether it's coming to worship today or scripture or whatever? Do we engage with confidence? Do we engage with faith? Is it a posture of belief? Is it a sense of trust that God is going to work here? God is at work already. God is getting my attention. He's doing something. And regardless of the, of the practice, the posture of confidence is believing that God is at work. The soldier who sent his servant sent the servant to Jesus because he knew confidently that Jesus could, had the power to heal his servant. The woman crashed that dinner party because she knew, she had confidence that Jesus would forgive her. And so whatever spiritual practice we engage in, let's engage with confidence that God is at work. This last week on Friday, our our leadership team, um, Karen, Nathan, myself, and then Marlene, our stewardship direct coordinator in finances, we got together and spent just the day together to plan and project and look at a couple of things for our year and with our vision and we, you know, I, I knew in my heart we needed to start the day in prayer. We needed to, like, take at least a whole hour before we did anything to pray. And it was interesting because we, we just started, I just shared a few words at the beginning, literally. And then we printed out four passages of Scripture. And there was no teaching around it. There was no hype around it. It was, here are these four passages, some that God has used in the past to work in our hearts, some new. And all we said was this, read whatever passage God leads you to. You don't have to read them all. You don't have to even read the whole passage. Just read and be open to how the Lord will impress on your heart. We didn't say much, and we just invited uh, everyone to do that. And here was the cool thing. This is a, this piece of confidence, is that there's, there was nothing we did to create a moment, to manipulate any kind of learning, to make anybody think about one word. We just said, let's just prayerfully read these scriptures and ask the Lord to speak to us, remind us about something, a word for our church, a word for this day, even if it's for you. And something, it was very quiet as people were reading, and then slowly as people started to share what the scripture they were led to and drawn to, it was amazing that the power of God's word in that moment just came alive to so many people. And some shared something personal and then something for the church. Some shared how this particular scripture was what they had, you know, years ago on their, on uh, just reminding them during the difficult time. And all these different pieces came together. And here's why this is, I'm talking about this in confidence. We could not have made that happen. I could not have made that happen. We just confidently believed that God is at work through his word. We just confidently believe that in this practice, something is going to happen. God's going to work. And now, you, if you read the Bible every day, God, that's not going to happen every day. I promise you. Like, if you hold me to this invitation to read scripture or something else, you're going to call me three days later and say, Dave, something happened on day two, but nothing happened on day one and three. What's the deal? Because it doesn't always feel like some great moment. But as we engage these spiritual practices with confidence, believing that God is at work, He is at work. He's going to do something. If matter, the team can come up. I want to just end this moment as we we leave our gathering, um, singing the chorus of that last song, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. But I want you to think about something for a moment. If you want to become resolutionary in your faith, if you want to become resolutionary in your faith, it's not just going to be practices. It's the posture in your practices. And it's not just going to be posture. It's posture with practices. 
You don't just pursue the practices. It's posture plus practice leads to a resolutionary kind of life. Does that make sense? Posture plus practice leads to a resolutionary kind of life. Now, here's the one practice I'm going to invite you to do. The one practice is this. Uh, Pam already announced it. We have this scripture reading that's set up. And I think it's one of the better scripture reading plans around because it doesn't assume that everybody in our congregation or in our church can read through the Bible in one year. How many have tried and failed reading through the Bible in one year? You can be honest. Okay. How many have tried reading the Bible, period, and have failed? Okay. You can be, so, so what I love about this plan, there's two versions. The first version is the full version, and it takes you through the Bible in two years. Not one, in two years. On Saturday, there's a psalm, and it's not that you want to miss the psalms, but to be honest, if you go skiing on Saturday and you miss it, it's okay. You're not, you're not, don't freak out, you know? On Sunday, there's no reading because we come together and we read Scripture together. So it's literally five days a week, not seven. And it's paced out over two years. And the second version is an even lighter version. It's called the Discovery Version. And so it's about half of the reading as the full version. And the great thing about that is if you've never started reading the scriptures or you just feel like you need something lighter, it still gets you through the scriptures, but in a lighter way. And I'm going to invite you to commit. Will we commit as a church to at least this practice to grow in nurturing our faith through God's word? That throughout the the year, and there's going to be reasons maybe to read something else for a month and come back to it, and there's no... There's no fear of catching up. It's the idea, can we engage this practice with the posture of humility and confidence? Humility that I'm going I'm I'm to humble myself before the Lord and say, God, I want to see you in all your goodness. And with confidence that God's actually going to work and begin to work in my life through this practice. So there's 20 copies of each at the back, but there's a PDF version on our website and you can easily print it out or have it readily on your phone or your computer and, and to help you read through the scriptures. So my challenge, my invitation to you is let's get in the scriptures together. If you're wondering, is this different from last year's version? No, it's the same one. Now it's continuing, just starting from scratch. Last year was year two of one. This year is year one of two. So it's part of the same thing for those of you who've been reading with us already. There's a upcoming practices that I want, I want you to be a part of. This prayer night uh, we announced, let's join together corporately as a community and pray on the last Friday of this month and seek the Lord together and grow in this practice. This, this retreat that's coming up, it's a practice. It's a spiritual and relational practice that will affect our lives if we engage it with humility and confidence. Uh, Lent is coming up in a few weeks at the middle of February as we lead to 40 days to Easter. It's already coming up. And as we would engage that practice with humility, with confidence, posture and practice leads to resolutionary faith. Let's stand as we close and just sing the chorus of this song. And I invite you that if your heart um, is just resonating with mine and saying, Lord, I long to grow in resolutionary faith today, but... Here's the thing. I come to you with humility. The first words of this chorus is, Lord, I need you. That's humility. But then singing it with confidence that God is going to be at work in you and through you to grow your faith, to be resolute. If you need prayer as we're singing this song, I'm going to invite you, if you feel like you need to um, just even take a step of faith towards repentance, confession, belief, faith and you feel like you need to step out and come towards the front here as we're singing then 
I encourage you to do that, just to make that claim to the Lord uh, and pursue him in that way. And if you need specific prayer, let us know and we'll, be praying, we'll pray for you on the spot.